Friends, before we start this sermon, I just want to thank you as your pastor for the way that you've really made our community tick along over this time. I was reminded this morning uh, of the early church and I was thinking, you know, they were devoted to fellowship, the Bible says. They devoted themselves to this. And so it wasn't the leaders making them do anything. The sense of everyone, all the people were like, no, we're committed to this thing. And I've really felt that in our church over this uh, period of lockdown, that there's been a sense of devotion to community, all the Zooms, the life groups, all the different social things going on, the upper clicks, all these different things that have been happening, the way that you're watching this and engaged now, man that's cool. It makes it so easy to pastor a community that's devoted to fellowship. So I want to thank you. And uh, as we continue our series on missional life uh, this morning, I want to explore, uh, continue to explore the power of hospitality to change the world. And I want to do that by looking at a wider view uh, of the biblical mandate to feast, to have banquets and epic meals together. Because at the heart of the kingdom, there is this banquet going on. And if there's anything I feel qualified to speak on, it's the whole thing of feasting. I mean, if I've got a black belt in anything, it's like I'm really experienced and good at feasting and this is why it's such an epic uh, subject banquets and feasting and hospitality are at the heart of the kingdom so this morning I want to look at the heart of the kingdom and I want to look at the how of the kingdom and I want to look at the hope of the kingdom being centered around this whole idea of banquets of feasting of hospitality banquet right well kind of I've been thinking a lot this week around what the kingdom of God like feels like like what does it feel like and as I've been preparing this and working my way through the scriptures I've realized actually you know what the kingdom feels like it feels like a banquet or a meal at its best you know those moments where you're sitting around with friends you love or people that you're you know providing interesting conversation you're learning from different people and it's just this lovely sense of joy and peace and and just uh, enjoying the the food and the the beauty of God's creation and uh, revealed through all the stuff like uh, I think the kingdom of God feels like a really good meal in a place of love you know love joy and peace the first fruit, fruit of the Holy Spirit or uh, the fruit uh, described in John 15 of abiding remaining in Jesus like I like a meal at its best feels like that. And as you look throughout the Bible, we see that uh, a culture of celebrating was really uh, what God tried to form in the nation of Israel. Remember, the nation of Israel was meant to show the rest of the world what it looked like to live in harmony with God and to harmony with, with the world and with people around us. They were meant to be this great example. So God set up like, here's the culture that we want to have within the, uh, within the nation of Israel to be this great example to the world. And so when we look at, uh, at the scriptures, we see God instituting festivals and Sabbath rest and these beautiful things to help gather people around tables, banqueting tables, to simply enjoy His goodness. In fact, when you go right back to Genesis 1, we see uh, the, the goodness and the grace of God as He gives us food. I mean, the reality is God probably could have given us uh, you know, just a pill to eat or whatever. In fact, in the, the movie The Matrix, uh, they describe their food and they say this, it's a single-celled protein combined with synthetic aminos, vitamins and minerals, everything your body needs. We grow it in a vat as they put the sludge into a bowl. And it's like, oh man, that could have, I suppose, been an option for God. But when we 
look at Genesis 1, we see the creativity of God, the goodness of God. I was rereading Genesis 1 this morning and I was struck by how decadent the language is and how creative it is. I mean, language like the seas teeming with life, with, with fish. You think, man, how good is that, especially as a fisherman? Oh, Lord, let it be again one day. But in the nation of Israel, they, God begins to institute these times, three times a year, where they have week-long banquets and celebrations. These three uh, festivals, the festival of Passover festival, the festival of weeks, or the festival, uh, and the festival of tabernacle, or the festival of booths. And they're all there where they would all gather together and celebrate together. Very difficult to kind of bring a parallel in terms of our current culture. But the closest I think you could probably get in terms of what that would feel like is our church camp. For a number of days, eating together, laughing together. We're not working, we're celebrating, we're having fun. But the, the element of worship's there as well. We were worshiping God and ministering to one another. And it's just the richest possible time we could have together. They're the highlights of our churches life without a doubt. And so here's a glimpse of what it's like. In Deuteronomy 16, uh, God gives instructions around what these festivals should be like. It says the celebrate, verse 13, celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press, right? Lots of beautiful food involved. Be joyful at your festival. Again, this is the whole point. But everyone's welcome. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your town. So no one was to be excluded from these festivals. Everyone got to be a part of it. For seven days celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands and your joy will be complete. The favor of God, the blessing of God over these people as they were like, we're choosing to celebrate well and to enjoy your goodness God and to retell the story of your goodness to us. The Israelite nation would wander away from the Lord often, as we do. They would bow down to idols, and we so often find ourselves capitulating to the priorities and idols of our culture, right? So we can resonate with their choices, but at times they'll come back and it'll be like restored to their culture. Hezekiah was one of these kings that restored this banqueting to the, the, the uh, culture of Israel. Uh, he's like, man, we've gone so far away. Let's come back to what it's all about. And we see that they gathered together. Hezekiah uh, would gather, God, we're going to have this Passover festival, and they got really into it. In 2 Chronicles 30 we read for seven days they ate their assigned portions and they offered fellowship offerings and they praised the Lord the God of their ancestors. And then I love this in verse 23. The whole assembly then agreed to celebrate this festival seven more days. So for another seven days they celebrated joyfully. It was like they were like, oh that's right we've, we've forgotten what this is all about and how good it is to be in alignment with God and His ways and He wants us to celebrate, to party. Uh, and so they have this like, let's go another seven days guys you uh, and so there's this lovely dynamic within the culture of the Israel's uh, the culture of Israel in the year they would have these three festivals throughout the year where they would feast and banquet and celebrate and then not only that but wait there's more right uh, <laughs> within the week of the Israelite nation they also had the day of Sabbath which was another day of feasting and resting and celebrating together me and Jen have just started watching The Chosen which is a um 
uh, mini-series based on the life of Jesus. Very, very well done. In the first couple of episodes, I've been really struck once more by how beautiful the Sabbath rhythm is for the Jewish people and how central it was. And how it wasn't a day of striving, but a day of rest. It was a day that said our identity is caught up and that we're loved by God. It's not caught up in what we produce or how other people see us. And so uh, there's this incredible dynamic of within a week, Always it was like, hey, there's Sabbath coming and it's going to be a day of feasting and celebration. Again, this is what the kingdom's all about. Now, I want to point this out. In, in the West, actually, we've got this culture where everyone's, you know, through um, advertising and stuff, there's this kind of thing of like life's meant to be a perpetual celebration. We were constantly, well, we're getting attacked by bees here. We were constantly meant to be... Um, you know, feasting full time. And what happens is we lose the power of how beautiful the restraint is and the simplicity of life outside of those times because both festivals and Sabbath have a beginning point and an end point very clearly defined. And within those two markers, it is game on, it is party time, it's decadent, it's, it's, it's feasting, it's enjoying. But then outside of those times, it's about simplicity and about serving the poor, about living generously, about holding back so that when we come into those times of party, we've got the margin to do so financially and, and, and all the rest of it. We have this margin in our lives because we live simply for the rest of the time. And so there's an enormous wisdom in the culture of, of Israel and it would be good for us to, to, to navigate together. What does it look like to reclaim those lovely rhythms? Keeping in mind that the kingdom of God feels like a party. So that's what the kingdom feels like. But then as you look at the life of Jesus, we see how the kingdom gets built. So, uh, not only uh, do we start to get a glimpse of what the heart of the kingdom's about, but actually in the life of Jesus, we see how that kingdom uh, moves forward, how that kingdom breaks in into the world. And it's predominantly through meals. Jesus is constantly eating. <laughs> he's either, in Luke's gospel especially, he's either going to a meal, he's either at a meal, or he's on his way to a meal. Uh, it's incredible how much Jesus is eating and drinking. In fact, the Gospels talk about why the Son of Man came. Uh, in Mark 10 verse 45, it says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why he came. It's explained again in Luke 19 verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is why Jesus came. But then in Matthew 11 verse 19, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. <laughs> It's like those first two Son of Man passages talk about, about why Jesus came. But that Matthew passage, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, talks about how he did it. He came and he gathered people around the table. And now you've got to remember in Jesus' day, it was actually more divided than our day. In terms of religious groups, uh, political groups, um, ethnic groups, and even within religious, the Jewish religious system, you've got very strong tribes there. And then you've got all these outcasts and unclean people and all that kind of very divided world. How does Jesus navigate all of this? He does that by gathering around the table and having meals. Uh, Tim Chester, an amazing book uh, called uh, A Meal with Jesus, Discovering Grace, Community and Mission Around the Table, says this, The table fellowship of Jesus with its ethic of grace rather than reciprocity was creating a new countercultural society in the midst of the empire. It's incredible. Jesus is going around with all these different people and um, 
Tim Chester goes on to say, in the ministry of Jesus, meals were enacted grace, community and mission. So the meals of Jesus represent something bigger. They represent a new world, a new kingdom, a new outlook. But they give the new reality substance. Jesus' meals are not just symbols, they're also application. They're not just pictures, they're the real thing in miniature. This is what the kingdom feels like. With all that antagonism, with all that anger and hostility that's so often directed at Jesus, how does he navigate that? He gets around the table and talks with people and enjoys a meal together. And this is what the kingdom looks like. Uh, Peter Lightheart describes it like this. For Jesus, feast was not just a metaphor for the kingdom. As Jesus announced the feast of the kingdom, he also brought it into reality through his own feasting. Unlike many theologians, he did not come preaching in ideology, promoting ideas or teaching moral maxims. He came teaching about the feast of the kingdom. He came feasting in the kingdom. Jesus did not go around merely talking about eating and drinking. He went around eating and drinking a lot. One of these moments is found in Matthew 22 when Jesus is like, you know what the kingdom of heaven is like? It's like a wedding banquet. But it's not just a wedding banquet for all the fancy people that have got it all together. It's a wedding banquet for the broken, for the sinners, for the mentally ill, for the drunks and the druggies and the prostitutes and the unrespectable and the messy people. They're the ones. Everyone's invited to come into this banqueting table, this wedding feast fit for a king. So beautiful. Uh, the Pharisees struggle with this. They get agitated. They don't like it because it's turning the world upside down. And in Luke 15, he tells three stories about lost things being found in response to their critique. And the theme not only is lost things being found, but the theme that we often overlook is it's a theme of celebrating and rejoicing because that's what the kingdom of God is like. If you read through Luke 15, you'll notice this, uh, especially in, in the parable of the son. When he comes home, uh, it says this, uh, in verse 25, uh, uh, sorry, verse 22, the father said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and the fat and calf and let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. And it's interesting that the older brother hears the sound. It says this, when he came near the house, the older brother heard the music and the dancing. Listen, there is a sound to the house uh, to the house of God, like, and it's the sound of music and dancing. It's the sound of celebration. And so if you haven't watched the Missional Life video, can I beg you to do that? It's on our uh, closed Facebook group. It's the best video around the mission of, of God outworked around the table. It's brilliant because not only is feasting and celebrating at the heart of what the kingdom's about, not only is it how the kingdom advances, but it's the hope of the kingdom so it's the hope of the kingdom what, what do we mean by that well as you can see uh, it connects deeply with the meal that Jesus had with his disciples before he was crucified and rose again uh, he has the Passover meal with his disciples and it taps into a bunch of rich imagery uh, it taps into of course the exodus and uh, the way that God let led his people out of slavery and in the same way we are led out of slavery uh, the slavery of sin and death through the work of Jesus on that cross 
Uh, N.T. Wright uh, beautifully says, when Jesus wanted to explain to his disciples what his death was all about, he didn't give them a theory. He gave them a meal. There's something about that intimacy uh, of, the, of, the, of the Passover meal, of the Eucharist, of the communion, that speaks to the heart of God in a way that no theory ever could. But in that meal, Jesus also starts pointing to the future. He says uh, in Luke 22, verses 16, he says, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. In verse 18, he says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So Jesus is saying this meal marks something not just of what I've done on the cross and of my delivering work in, in the past, but also of the hope that we have of God's kingdom. Uh, and the Last Supper looks back uh, both at the Passover meal, but also of this great messianic promise found in Isaiah 25. In Isaiah 25, it says this, On this mountain, again, this is the promise of the future, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wine. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheep that covers all nations, and he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will, will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. There's this incredible hope and this imagery of a banquet where God's wiping away tears, saying we're not grieving anymore, friends, because he has conquered death. He's swallowed it up forever. Not only that, but Jesus uh, is pointing to this promise that we read about later in Revelation 19. Again, Tim Chester explains this in his book, uh, A Meal with Jesus. He says, what we call the Lord's Supper is a foretaste of the Lamb's Supper in Revelation 19. It's the beginning of the feast we eat with Jesus and his people in the new creation. It's not just a picture. It's the real thing begun in a partial way. We eat with God's people and we eat with the ascended Christ present through the Holy Spirit. It's incredible. We, I love that we take communion every week. Even while we're in lockdown, we're still like, yeah, we're taking communion, even though many people just observe it. There's a sense of we coming symbolically around the table together. And as we gather around the table, it points to this eternal banquet to come with Jesus at the center as we celebrate the Lamb of God. It says this in Revelation 19, verse 6 onwards. It says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, the roar of rushing waters and the loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. This is the beautiful hope that we have. Our hope is that one day we will gather around the banqueting table of the Lamb and we will celebrate the risen Christ and we will worship Him. Hallelujah. We will rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. This is the hope that we have. And we, we participate in that hope prophetically as we gather around the table every Sunday and we take communion together. What a beautiful hope that we have. What an insane party that will be. That will one day be your experience. Hallelujah. This is the hope that we have. But we, we now live in, in anticipation of that future. But as kingdom people, we live. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
bring that kingdom into its reality, into the present here today. That is the business of God's people now, right now. So we want to see that kingdom come and we want to see it feel like a celebration, like a wedding feast. We want it to feel like that in Wadaiinui. We want to feel like, like, like that in every broken family in the bay. This is the job in the present is to see that, that future reality break into the present. And often how we do that's actually through meals. And so some practical steps as we finish. Firstly, uh, if you haven't watched the Missional Life video on hospitality, can I implore you to do it? It's absolutely outstanding. It's one of the best uh, descriptions of mission through hospitality I've ever, ever heard. It's absolutely brilliant. I haven't repeated too much in this talk, so please watch it. It's very, very inspiring in terms of the power of hospitality to see the kingdom advance. Uh, secondly, uh, Let's live this out. Let's live this out. Let's learn from the Israelite story. Let's have margin and space. And rather than capitulate to the idolatry of our culture in terms of working so hard that there's no margin and our identity being caught up in what we do, let's live under the rule and reign of God. Have Sabbath rest. Have times throughout the year that are set apart to worship and to feast and to celebrate. Let's make sure we have life-giving rhythms that really reflect the culture of the kingdom. And so that's that's an ongoing journey for us but Bay Vineyard let's journey towards that together and lastly let's practice hospitality now really practically some people I think have an enormous gift for hospitality thinking of Sheridan and in, in, in Israel or uh, Andrew and Karen, or Beth and Paul. I mean, these people are graced. Uh, Dalian uh, and Francois, I mean, they're graced with like unbelievable like culinary skills and just lavish hospitality. So there's clearly grace on some folks' life. But for the rest of us, you know, for like me and Jen, we can still practice hospitality. Even if it looks like pizzas and fish and chips around the table in a messy home or whatever it may be. It's like we welcome people into our homes and we live this out our way. We live this out our way. But the important thing is that we live it out. And so friends, uh, let's continue this great journey of discovering what it looks like to live on mission for God. And let's continue to orientate our life around Jesus, to be with him and to become like him and to do what he did. And even though we're separated at the moment physically, the Lord's at work. So let's continue to be shaped and molded by him so that we can be his ambassadors in this fallen and broken world. Let me close in prayer. Father, I thank you for my wonderful Bay Vineyard Church family. I thank you for the journey that we're on together. Lord, we know we've got a long way to go, but thank you that you're with us, shaping us, molding us, sanctifying us, leading us into all life and all truth. Father, help us represent you well. Help us to live in such a way that we feast and we rejoice in you and we celebrate your goodness and, and we recount the stories of your faithfulness to us. I pray we would enjoy gathering around the table and enjoying the goodness of God revealed through the abundance of food that we have in this nation. And Father, I pray that you would help us to live missionally uh, for you. Lord, that would imitate your example of gathering around the table with all sorts of diverse people from different opinions, different cultures, different views on all sorts of things, and that we would become brothers and sisters as we gather around the table uh, of our Lord. So we bless you, Father. We thank you for your work in our midst. Lord, be with us as we go into another week, we pray. Amen. Kakite Bay Vineyard, lots of love. God bless you heaps, and we look forward to seeing you in the flesh sometime soon. God bless.